is Bianca Ot. Good morning, Transformation Church. Welcome, Transformation Nation. It is a good day to be in the house of God. Not only is it fun month, church, church, y'all ain't ready. It is actually Throwback Sunday. Why? Because I was here last year for fun month. Homegirl just brings the fun, okay? And I'm so excited to be with so many new faces from different places here in the house of God. And if I can't say this to those watching online, part of the TC family, I'm going to give a little shout out because today is a double dip. It's a double dip, okay? And it's always good when it's double because our home church, my husband and I, Matt, we have a, a home church called the Father's House in Orange County. And guess what? It's a cross between TC and TFHOC. Come through. Thank you, Jesus. So it is going to be a good day to be in the house of God. Now, listen, uh, Pastor Mike is on sabbatical. Some of y'all are like, I wish Pastor Mike was here. I'm just watching for him. Guess what? Um, we are going to bless him with a little sabbatical so he gets a little break. He gets some time off. He gets to rejuvenate. But this is what I want. I want to take a pause to take a beat. Will you pop in on his social media? Will you leave a comment in the chat box? Will you just let him know, him and Pastor Natalie and the entire TC crew that makes church happen week in and week out? Can you say thank you to them? Can you say that we love you, that we're so grateful for you? Yes, that's what we do. Now, it is my second time here at TC, and uh, since it's my, it's my second time back, it's high time that we get to know each other, okay? We family. If you know anything about me, you know that I am obsessed with Hebrew history and Jewish culture, okay? Like, this is something that since I was a child, I've been obsessed with, and I think that this is rooted probably in some childhood pain, but we don't need to go there. Let me just tell you why I'm obsessed with Hebrew history and culture. Well, I grew up in the hood. I grew up in the ghetto. Uh, my, my parents were immigrants to this country. I was illiterate at the age of 12, and I had big, thick Coke bottle glasses. Uh, I was homeschooled, and again, I was illiterate. Uh, and throw that to the mix, I was also obese, and so I was special, and not in a good way, okay? That's just a blessed Jesus right there. But I remember feeling unchosen, unseen, unwanted, and really wanting and believing God to do something in my life. And I walked into Sunday school, and we had a teacher. His name was Mr. Charles. Ooh, Mr. Charles was a preacher from the South, and this man had skin like dark chocolate. Mm. He had a voice as, 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 as thick as molasses. His accent was as thick as molasses, and his voice was as sweet as sweet tea. And when Mr. Charles opened up the word of God, it was alive. It was active. It was sharper than any two-edged sword. And this is how we know he's a G, okay? Because you are a real G if you take a group of fifth graders through the book of Exodus. I mean, that's when you a G right there, okay? And he took our class to the book of Exodus, and he spoke about a people group, God's chosen people, God's chosen people, the Jews that he was speaking to. I, Mr. Charles spoke about them, and he said that God, out of all the other people groups in the world, God chose the Jews. Well, as a child who's always wrestled with, with feeling chosen, I began to just wish and hope and pray and say, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, make me a Jew. And then I found out that the color of my skin and the width of my thighs, my Mexican heritage could not be denied, okay? And so I began to pray a better prayer. I said, please, God, please, God, let me marry a Jew so my children will be chosen, all right? But then my theology corrected, and as I matured and I grew, I realized that I have been grafted in like a wild olive branch into the family of God, and God has chosen me from the foundations of the world. Praise the Lord. 
Wait, let me tell you something. <laughs> My husband and I were doing some ministry work in London. We touched down at Heathrow International Airport. And he was at the baggage claim getting his luggage, and I turned on my phone, and there was an influx of text messages, and one of them was from my mom. My mom had texted me and all my siblings, and uh, she had said, hey, I submitted my uh, DNA to Ancestry.com, and let me show you the results. Well, this is really exciting. So this is my Puerto Rican mom, and so the largest percentage was Spanish or Iberian, but then we found out that my mom was 15% British. I'm in London. I'm with my people. I'm like, hello, governor, would you like a spot of tea? Love to have a little touch chat with the queen. I'm like feeling it, right? And then, and then get this, get this. My mom is 16% Sudanese. What up, Wakanda? Ha! All right? Like, I, I mean, I was feeling it. And then my eyes landed on the most divine information I have ever seen in my life. Let me catch my breath. <laughs> my mom is 1% Jew. I turned to my husband who's at the luggage carousel and I said, Baruch Baba Shem Adonai, baby. I am not speaking in tongues. I'm speaking Hebrew because I am a Jew. I am half a percent Jew. I am Jewish, okay? So as a resident Jew of the house, today we're going to be talking about a man whose name is Yeshua. He's a family member of mine and don't be jealous because I'm a Jew. But let me tell you something. His name is Yeshua, but you might know him as Jesus. So as we open up the word of God, you have a bona fide Jewess in the house teaching you the word of God. Can I get a great amen for that? Now, I want you to grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of Mark. We are going to be spending time in Mark 14. And if you're the note-taking type, pull out your notebook, pull out your journal, pull out your pen. And I want you to write down the title of today's sermon, and that is Pressed and Purposed, Turning Our Trials into Testimonies. Why? Because our purpose will come out of those pressing moments of life. Where does this take place? The place of pressing. Join me in Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John, note that if you're taking note, along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, this hour might pass from him. Verse 36, Abba, which means daddy. Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. I want us to hone in on that. Yet not what I will, what you will. Let's pray as we open up the word of God. Spirit of the living God, we invite you into this space and into this place. And we say thank you. Thank you, God, of the work that you did on the cross. Thank you, God, that you remained in the pressing. And my prayer today, Lord, is that it's less of me and more of you. It's less of me and more of you. So, God, in this moment, may we utter the words of Jesus, not my will, but yours. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we find ourselves in a very particular place, according to this text. In verse 35, we find Jesus where? We find him in the garden of Gethsemane. What I love about this is today, through the power of God's word, we are transported to a different place. No, you are not in Tulsa. You are not in Orange County. You're not in your living room in London. You're not in your bathroom in Baltimore. You know where you are? You are in the darkness of a sad 
The night sky is bruised and beaten, but it's illuminated with stars. And Jesus, we find Jesus. Go there in the theater of your mind. Go there in the theater of your mind. Jesus is hunkered down low with the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. And where do we see him in the garden of Gethsemane? You know what I love about this passage is that we serve a good God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We serve a good God who empathizes with our pain, who knows our fear, our worry, and anxiety. And today, if you came to church and you were wondering, I don't know if this word's going to be for me, listen, you have come to the right place. Maybe you're sitting here, you're thinking like, my life feels oppressed, oppressed, depressed, and I need God. Guess what? You're in the pressing place, and you came to a good place. Maybe you're like, there is some power. There is some power planted deep within inside of me. Guess what? You are in the pressing place, and that way presses is going to come out with a new sense of power. So today, church, today we find ourselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this word Gethsemane is a combination of two Hebrew words, get, shemonin, and it means the place of pressing. So it is here that grapes will be crushed and turned into wine, and it is there that olives will be pressed and turned into oil. Now, the reason why I remember the specific pronunciation of this is because I was 24 years old, and I found myself in Israel, and I was here in this exact place. And I remember the phrase, get shemonin, as get some money, okay? Because y'all, I was in a pressing place. 24 years old, I had to move back home and live with my parents and like, what person wants to do that, you know? So I'm living at home. I'm about to finish grad school. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. And my mom was diagnosed with not one, but two forms of cancer. One of them was brain cancer. And I just remember feeling so pressed. And I didn't have a job, so I remembered it as get some money. Okay, and here in this place, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus say these words, Abba, meaning Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup away from me. And here in this pressing place, Jesus is saying, I don't want to do this. Now, I don't know if you've ever paused when you've read this passage. Have you ever paused and said, I wonder what cup he's talking about. Is it just me? I don't know. But like when I read this passage, I said, oh, I wonder, is this like a, a Hebrew idiom? Like take this cup from me? I, I, I don't know. What, 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 is, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, some scholars believe uh, that this passage is referred to in the Last Supper. And as a good Jew, let me tell you that Jesus was with the disciples. Prior to this passage, Jesus is with his disciples at a, the Passover meal. We know this as the Last Supper. And as a good Jew, let me tell you that there are four glasses of wine in the Passover, okay? So church, online, in the room, how many glasses of wine are there at Passover? Four. Okay, apparently God's people love a good turn up, okay? So they're out there like just pouring it out for the homies, like praise the Lord, we're here celebrating. And so after this dinner, where do we find Jesus? Jesus is now in the pressing place where olives and grapes are pressed. And Jesus says this word, take this cup from me. And maybe, maybe your pressing place might feel different. Maybe you are not in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe you are an entrepreneur whose business feels because of everything that's going on in the economy, your business is going bust. You feel like you're on the brink of bankruptcy and you feel like you are in the pressing place. Or maybe you're the business owner. As I was praying, I said, God, where are your people? You're the business owner 
who, when you look at your employees' faces, you don't just see their faces, you see the faces of their kids and you feel responsible for their families and that weight is choking you out and you feel pressed. Maybe, maybe you feel like uh, you're in a pressing place because your spouse has walked out on you. Or maybe you're a parent who's so longing to see their child that your child has not only left you, but your child has left God and you are in the pressing place. Maybe, maybe you have gone through every single week of relationship goals with Pastor Mike and you are waiting and you're praying and you just, you, you want more than just the permission. You want the blessing. You, you know, porneia means, I mean, you did all the weeks and you said, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to say hi and right. I'm going to say pure. I'm going to say good. God is good. And all of a sudden, all these hot folks are sliding into your DMs and you're like, what am I supposed to do? I feel pressed. Let me give you a loving word, fam. For all the singles in the place, this is the favorite phrase I gave every, give everyone. For my lusty, musty, thirsty, and thotty friends, let me tell you, they may be hot, but so is hell, all right? When they try to come at you, run away, flee, because that's not from the Lord, okay? You have relationship goals, friend. Do not compromise. If you're taking note, I want you to write this down. Pressing. Pressing. Pressing is real. The, the, the pressing is rough, and the pressing will rival your greatest pain. How do I know this? Because my husband is a level three sommelier. Let me show you a photo of my husband. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here today. He was supposed to come, but there's been some great stuff that's been going on. I'll explain later. But this is my husband, and uh, for all the single ladies, <laughs> don't stare too long because I love Jesus, but I will cut you. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm Latina. I'm loyal. Don't, don't look at him too long, all right? But my husband, in this process in the last seven years, uh, has studied the best wine growing regions. He has studied uh, the varietals that are there. He's even studied in the most beautiful way, a crucial aspect to making wine. And it, you can't have wine unless grapes are pressed. So when Matt, my husband, teaches on uh, John 15, he always talks about the power of why Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the vine and the importance of that. And not just that Jesus says, I am the vine, but that he goes a step further. And, they, and, and he says that, they are, that his father is the gardener, is the vine dresser, is the wine maker. And so both Matt and I have studied this passage and we've taught on that God is doing a new thing in the world. There is a new move of God. There's a revival that is going to break out. And we believe that this is the new wine that the prophets were speaking about. And we see here that God is doing something new and you can't put old wine or excuse me, reverse it. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. That's what the gospels say. And so when we talk about the process, you know, I realized I've always glossed over one aspect of the process because I hate it. So every time I talk about this, I'm always like, nope, cut it, don't wanna talk about that. And this aspect is crucial and it's pressing, the pressing, why? In the vineyard, the grapes are grown by being attached to the vine. They are attached to the vine for their sustenance. The grapes don't have to do anything. They're chilling like a villain on the vine, getting round and juicy, living their best life. They are attached to the vine. Why? Because the vine is the one doing the work. See, the vine, the roots have to go down deep into the soil. It has to fight for minerals. It has to fight for the nutrients that it needs. It fights for water. In fact, do you know that if the vine had the perfect ingredients, it had the perfect atmosphere, if the vine had everything perfect that it needed, the fruit actually would not be good. But if you stress the vine, 
If you stress the vine and you make the vine work to go down deep for its nutrients, to go down deep for its water, that the fruit that is produced is beautiful. Now, I believe that this is a word for us. I'm going to make a case the same is true for us, that it is the struggles and the stresses of life. It is the struggles and stresses of life that produce the greatest harvest. Maybe that is why in John 15, in Mark 14 where we were, but in John 15, similar timeline of what's going on, Jesus has a conversation either on their way to Passover or at Passover when he recounts that he is the vine. And in verse 1 of John 15, he says, I am the vine, and if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. That's John 15, chapter 1. Now, but then he says something as he ends the vine wine lesson in chapter 15, verse 16. Don't turn there. It's going to here on your screen. Let me read it over us. You did not choose me. No, I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit. Ah, hold up. Don't gloss over this. He says fruit that will last. The point isn't to grow fruit. The point is to produce fruit that lasts. Now, if you have grapes and you leave them out, they'll be good for three, four, maybe five days. But if you press them, church, I need you to hear me. If you press them and extract the value that's inside of them so that it comes out, that is producing fruit that will last. I have seen grapes last maybe five days, but I've seen bottles of wine last 60, 70, and 80 years. The biblical way to be preserved, friends, is to be pressed. You can't get around it. And being pressed might feel like you're in, but church, let me tell you that it's not. And Paul knew that this was part of the process. When he wrote his second letter to the Corinthians, in Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, he says this. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but you ain't dead. You are not destroyed. The grave's pressing wasn't the end. Church, it was the beginning of the transformation process. It is not your end, church. It is the beginning of your transformation process. This is the beginning of your transformation process. The process leads. The pressing is just to produce fruit. So, brothers and sisters, in the place with style and grace, let me say this over us, that this pressing isn't going to destroy you. No, what it's doing is that it's extracting the good that is held within you. After the pressing becomes the process, your pressing leads to the transformation process. In John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, and we are back in Mark 14. And where do we see ourselves, church? The pressing place. We serve a God who is not far away. We serve a God who knows our pain. Our God who has prayed prayer, prayers very similar to us. Prayers are like, God, I can't do this. God, this is too much. And he says, take this cup away from me. What cup was he referring to? I mentioned this earlier, but some theologians believe that it is the cup of suffering or the cup of wrath that Isaiah and Jeremiah reference. But in studying, in studying Passover and in studying this passage, you guys, I had, a, I had a great adventure, and I want you to go on this detour with me for a second. Um, I'm going to ask you, you can leave it in the chat box, how many glasses of wine are there at Passover, church? 
I'm schwitzing already, oy vey. You guys are good Joes. Okay, good. If you answer four in the chat box, yes, the Lord sees you. Extra credit bonus points for you. Okay, so we know that there are four glasses of wine at the Passover. And with each glass of wine, there is a symbolic passage, a reading, a hymn, a song that is read to remind them of their years of slavery. So I want you to, in Mark 14, just jump up to verse 32 to provide some context. Listen what Mark documents. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Now, check this out. This is the main meal. This is the third cup because it's the unleavened bread that was broken for them. So they are on the third cup. They're eating the Passover lamb at this time. They have the third cup of wine and he's breaking the bread and they're having communion. This is a new covenant. This is a new system. This is a new way. And check this out. I want you to go to verse 26. Verse 26 says this, when they had sung the hymn, this is the great halal. This is the big song. This is the closer. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I need you to catch that. I need you to catch it. They were on the third glass of wine. Did y'all catch that? They were on the third glass of wine. Then they ended it with the song. And then he went to the Mount of Olives. What's missing, church? Do y'all catch that online? If you're real smart, you get extra credit. You put it in the chat box. He missed the fourth glass of wine. Why? I believe that Jesus knew that he was the lamb that was slain the final Passover. And he did not finish that fourth glass of wine until he hung on a cross on Calvary, arms stretched out wide, and he said, it is finished. Until he had his death, we could not have our life. Jesus was pressed down. Jesus was crucified for our sin, for our pain, for our transgressions, for our anxiety, for our fears, for our trespasses. And he said, it is finished. And in the garden of Gethsemane, the pressing place, he says, take 